The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky thing, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Joe Napote, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon... They will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and uh, as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour, my uh, guest this hour is the president and CEO of Population Connection, John Seeger. He joins me by phone. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tom, and it's an honor to speak to someone who played the drums for Freddie Boom Boom Cannon. <laughs> Boy, you went all through the the website, apparently, John. <laughs> Bring Absolutely. it back. I spent, I spent several minutes doing my research. <laughs> well, I did as well, too. And um, what we're going to be talking about today, and it's, it's, it's really kind of interesting because your expertise is, is population growth. But how does that relate to climate change? Well, if we think about it, and we look at the uh, many different species on Earth, and we ask ourselves a pretty simple question. Among all these species, which one is it that seems to be responsible for these higher climate emissions? It's not the beavers or the squirrels or the bears. It's us. And it just stands to reason that the more people you have, the more emissions you're going to have. Well, I know some people, John. I know some people who make a strong case against cows and cattle. Well, of course, that's true, <laughs> indeed. 
But uh, but then again, you know, we're uh, the cows aren't eating us. Uh, we're That's eating true. them. That's true. But but let me um, let me ask this because you know we we talk a lot about climate change and and global warming, but. I don't know that I've talked a lot with people on this show about population. Where are we in terms of population growth in the U.S.? Um, I, I remember big pushes in the in the '60s uh, to bring down population growth. Were those efforts successful at all? Well, just a quick fun fact about the '60s: we're closer to the next set of '60s than we are to the last now on the calendar, if you think about it. That's uh, true. It, it, was, it was a while ago. What happened back then, uh, right around that era, 1960s into the 1970s, is America went through a huge transition. Back around 1960, the average woman in the United States had, oh, I don't know, about 3.5 children. By the mid-1970s, that size had been cut in half. So it was down to about 1.7 or so. And since then, family size has remained low in the United States. So that was the moment in our history where people decided, freely I might add, to have smaller families. Yet at the same time, we still see population growth here in the United States and around the world. What um, is, is there an ideal rate of reproduction for humans? I, I don't think so. What's important here is is, to, is, to, is where you start and where you focus. And as an organization, and for me personally, the decision to have children is a very personal, very private decision. And it, for many of us, it may be the most important, most consequential decision we make in our lives. And it's very important to respect people's rights to make those decisions freely. What we've learned is that when women have choices, they tend to choose smaller families. And I also would say that by almost any standard one could come up with, the world today is overpopulated. We are using up resources faster than they're produced. We're emitting all sorts of greenhouse gases. And we're simply not leaving this place better than we found it. We're leaving it worse. And that really, can you, can you draw a direct parallel between overpopulation and climate change because more people make a bigger footprint? Well, the scientists have drawn that parallel, although it gets very little attention. Uh, a group of scientists did a study a few years ago that was carefully reviewed, and it found that we could get about 40% of the greenhouse gas reductions we need by addressing population through voluntary means. And so it's the biggest slice of the pie, but you never really hear about it. What you hear about are uh, wind turbines and electric-powered vehicles and things like that. And I'm not knocking any of that at all. I'm just saying that, that addressing population growth and providing more options to people is an extraordinarily effective way to meet the climate challenge. Well, it just seems it seems logical, John, that um, less people mean less cars, less need for electricity. That that's certainly the way we look at it. And and if you look, for example, at Africa, 
which is uh, the place where population is growing the most rapidly. And it's also a very complex continent, but it's one where there are a lot of people who are frankly don't have a much in the way of money. What they want, most of them, not surprising, is what many of us have. They want washing machines. They want automotive vehicles. They want air conditioning, for heaven's sakes. And who can blame them? And, and I don't blame them a bit for that. But as places like that begin to move up in terms of income, we're going to see emissions move up as well unless something dramatic happens. And, and I've been, you know, my show is based in, uh, in Michigan. And it's, it, people have been writing about for a few years now that as the temperature of the planet goes up, that there's going to be some migration of people moving out of the, the warmer climes as they get too hot to live in. And that the Upper Peninsula in Michigan is going to be ideal by the year 2050. Have you seen those estimates and the, that speculation? Well, I, I have friends who live in that part of Michigan, and they actually think it's ideal already. <laughs> something That's something true. for everybody out there. Uh, but what we're seeing is uh, not just migration. We migrate as a species, like many species do, and that's just part of, part of our DNA, frankly. Uh, it, we've always been a migratory species, but what's different now is that hundreds of millions of people face no options. When your home is flooded out, when, you have, when there's no food in the cupboard, what do you do? Where do you go? And that's what we're facing, and that's the real challenge, is, is, is vast numbers of people being forced to leave where they are, not because they particularly want to necessarily, but because they have no choices. And that's bad for everybody. With the efforts that are being made currently, and, and, and of course I'm talking about some of the news that came out of Scotland here just recently, John, about uh, various uh, leaders from around the world trying to come up with some things that, that these various governments can do to bring down, um, well, the use of uh, fossil fuel, for example, and, and other things. The things you were talking about a few minutes ago, John, uh, uh, looking at solar and wind energy to replace the burning of fossil fuels and so on. Um, you're, you've been looking at um, rising temperatures as, as one of the measures of climate change. Can we slow that down through these efforts, electric cars and so on and so forth? We certainly can, but it's important to note that what's happening today is the culmination of, of 200 years uh, of transformation. And let's also note that these transformations, the beginning of the Industrial Revolution and everything that followed from it, have lifted 
people everywhere, not everywhere, but in many places. Life today, for many, many people, is much better than it was 200 years ago, and we can't overlook that fact. The problem is that we essentially borrowed from the natural bank, and now that bill is coming due. The thing that, and I understand why people in public office don't want to talk about this, but it's taken us about 200 years to get into this mess. The idea that we'll get out of it in a generation or two seems wildly optimistic. We've got to do something we're not very good at as a species, which is to plan on buckling down and sticking with it for several centuries, potentially. And that, that's a hard thing to think about sometimes. But when we think of it in those terms, that's one of the things that, that scares people off is it's it's one thing to ask people to do some little changes in their lives, but if they start thinking about a global impact over centuries, then all of a sudden it seems like my little piece of it doesn't make that much of a difference, and why should I be uncomfortable? I don't, I don't think we're going to succeed if we ask people to become uncomfortable. Uh, I, I certainly don't own a Tesla. Uh, but I had the chance to ride in one once. They're pretty darn comfortable. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the car manufacturers based in Michigan are placing a pretty big bet that people are going to find these new technologies to be, to be attractive. Uh, if, if you can use solar power rather than coal power to keep your lights on, I don't think that's necessarily uncomfortable at all. I think we have to find a way to make this attractive to people. Uh, I agree with you completely. If we tell people, look, you're going to have to sit around in the dark and in the cold for a couple of centuries, uh, I think we're not going to win. People aren't going to make that choice, and John, I don't blame them. I'm still trying to figure out why there is a Tesla floating around in space, but there isn't one in my driveway. Right. Well, <laughs> uh, I... I uh, I, I don't I don't disagree with you there. Uh, uh, my uh, my 16-year-old Toyota seems to be running just fine so far, uh, but when its day comes, uh, I certainly plan to look at a different kind of uh, powered vehicle. Well, and and it seems like uh, the the transition is coming faster than I expected. Well, you know that's something that that is really amazing when you think about it. Progress doesn't happen on an even basis. It, uh, things sort of stay the same for a long time, and then they can suddenly change. I, I am uh, old enough to remember when computers were these giant things that took up an entire room and that cost <laughs> millions of dollars. Now, many of us have a device in our pocket that is more powerful than the wealthiest person in the world could have ever envisioned two generations ago. That's a pretty amazing change. And so hey, I think that if, if John, we apply ourselves, we can make things happen. John, I hate to interrupt, but I have to take a short break here. Um, can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk about this some more? You bet. Great. My guest is John Seeger. He is uh, president and CEO of Population Connection. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in. If you're streaming us, we have some messages Everybody's as well. Doing 
it on brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place 
with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hi this is deb cherry genesee county treasurer and you're listening to the tom sumner radio show Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our uh, conversation connecting the dots between climate and population with the uh, president and CEO of Population Connection, John Seeger, who joins me by phone. John, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. I enjoyed it. Well, maybe you'd have liked it better if I'd have played Palisades Park. That, that, that would have been great. <laughs> do a now, whole hour just of Freddie Boom Boom Cannon. <laughs> I've done an hour of uh, Freddie Boom Boom Cannon. Um, but, uh, but let's get back to talking about population and, and climate and climate change. Um, what are some of the things that we would be surprised to learn and 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 then let's try and get into what are the steps that that people need to take because everybody has a, rep- a recipe. Well, recipe is a very good word because uh, it's not. This is not a uh, a single ingredient situation. Uh, it requires a variety of different uh, approaches. Uh, some people say it. it you know it. You know, it's not, it's not this, it's not one thing, it's many, many things. The population piece of it, interestingly, and I think hopefully, turns out to be all about removing the barriers that prevent people from doing what they want for their own lives and their own families. And that's the point we try to focus on, is we're not in the business of trying to tell anybody what to do in terms of having kids. First of all, why would they listen to us anyway? Uh, but that's not what's needed. Believe it or not, according to the Centers for Disease Control, more than a third of all births in the United States to this day are still unplanned. And some of those are just sort of happy accidents, but others are not. And so what we want to do is to provide the information and the resources so that can, people can make the decisions and choices they want, and that seems to lead to smaller families which reduces pressures on our environment and reduces climate emissions. As the, the courts seem to be moving more and more toward overturning Roe v. Wade and, and cracking down on uh, abortion, is that, well, apt, is that apt to contribute in some way to... Um, seeing the population rise again? When you make abortion illegal, and, and we are firm believers in the reproductive rights of all women everywhere, what you do is you don't reduce abortion. You make it dangerous. You make it unsafe. You put the lives of women at direct peril. And that's really what it's about and it's it's and every story i I think it's fair to say every story of every woman who decides that she needs to make that choice because it's the right choice for her is an individual and unique story and we, we need to get out of the business 
of, of interfering in the most private parts of people's lives. For heaven's sake, the, the, the government's got enough on its hands just trying to do what needs to be done for the public. Let's leave people's private lives to themselves. Yeah, there are trains to run on time and bridges to be repaired and all and, of and, that. And certainly, and certainly in Flint, uh, there are a lot, most of the children, from what I know, in Flint are, are, are still, or at least until very recently, were trapped in poverty. Thanks to President Biden's initiative, uh, they, are now get, they are now getting tax credits, their families are, lifting so many children out of poverty. Let's focus on something like that. Let's make sure that every kid in this country has a chance at a great future. There's something worth doing instead of meddling in people's private lives. What are some of the things that, that people can do? Uh, obviously, um, planning around parenting is, is one step that, that people can take, you know, to be more responsible about having families and, and making those decisions. How many children are we going to have? How are we going to provide for them? You know, and so on. Um, that's certainly something people can do that will make life better for a lot of people. But what are some other things that, that people can do that, that help fight back against, uh, you know, rising temperatures and, and, uh, wacky weather well there there are many many things we can do about all of that it's it's worth considering that for most of us our families are the most important thing in the world for most of us and most of us want to do right by our families yet so many people in our community in our nation in our world live every day under constant stress when you don't know where your next paycheck is going to come from, it's stressful. When you're working two or three jobs and still not getting there, it's stressful. When you see that your kids are not getting the lives that, that they deserve, that's very stressful. And my point here is it's almost impossible to make great decisions when you live under constant stress. And so one of the most important things we can do is in ways large and small, try to help eliminate some of that stress, whether it's making a donation of, of a, a check or a, or a can of soup to your local food bank, that's one thing to do. Certainly supporting elected officials who seem to care about the needs of the least among us is another thing we can do. And, and just the hardest thing perhaps sometimes to do is to just be optimistic. That, that can be a real challenge some days. And when you look at the possibilities out there, you're more likely to see options and opportunities. We can meet these challenges, but we, we've got to start taking better care of each other. John, you, you served at the EPA during the Clinton administration. You were also chief of staff for uh, U.S. Representative Peter uh, Kostmeyer from Pennsylvania. Uh, who was on the uh, House Interior and Foreign Affairs Committee, um, have elected officials and, and really government agencies, for that matter, have they been responsive to 
what a lot of people are beginning to ask for? Well, so, some have and some haven't. I, I don't think you could find a single American of any political stripe who has a positive view of all of our elected officials. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, that would be Bre- breaking but, news, uh, folks. <laughs> as you know, as uh, as, as the uh, you know as, as the saying goes, I, I'd like to you know I'd like to meet I'd like to meet that person. But I will tell you, since you asked, for example, that both of the United States senators, Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters, have been very helpful on the things that we care about in terms of trying to improve uh, options for families. Uh, they're, they're doing a great job. Uh, we live in a country that is very divided these days, and it's hard to get things done. And, and I don't point a finger at anybody in particular, it's very tough when you've got a 50-50 Senate to get enough votes to get things done. But we certainly have legislators who care about the things that certainly I care about and are trying to do their level best to improve things. So I think we have a foundation to build on, but we live in very, very difficult political times, and that doesn't come as news to anybody. That's true. Um, But when you you talk about um, you had uh, suggested um, that USDA has uh, granted a disaster declaration for Michigan farmers affected by adverse weather and drought. And do you think that uh, Debbie Stabenow chairing the uh, Ag Committee had something to do with that? Well, uh, I think she has a lot to do with making sure that these decisions are based as they should be on the facts, and and that's what we want. Uh, we want, and I don't mean use this term in a negative way at all. That's what we want bureaucrats to do. Uh, we want the politicians to practice politics because that's what they do, and we want them to do a job of making sure that the people who run programs do them based on the facts and the law. And I'm sure that disaster declaration was based on that. Now, if those people aren't doing their job, uh, you can be darn sure that Debbie Stabenow is going to make sure they do them, that she's paying attention. And so uh, that's really the role of uh, the chair of a committee like that, to make sure that uh, the appointed officials are doing the jobs that they were hired to do. Now, it's a tough time to be a farmer. It's never, there's never been an easy time in history to be a farmer. Yeah, if you, if, ask a, if you ask a farmer what their best year was, they will almost always say next year. Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, it was, President Kennedy once said the line of a farmer is, uh, you know, I, I hope I break even this year. I could use the money. Uh, it, it's... Uh, uh, you know, there, there aren't, it, it's, not even a, uh, it's not even a sun up to sun down job. It's a 4 a.m. To, to you can't work any longer job. And it, it never gets easier. And with climate change, it's getting harder because there's so much uncertainty out there for people who are working as hard as they humanly can to make sure the rest of us have enough to eat. Is, is everything tied together, John, if there were less people, we'd have less need for food, we'd have less need for, as we pointed out earlier, electricity and, and uh, 
cars and and other things that have been um, impacting climate change? It's it's basic arithmetic. If if you uh, were informed that uh, 27 people were going to move into the place you live today, uh, and they were all hungry, uh, you know that that makes for a challenge. More people makes things more complicated, makes things more expensive. But what's really key here is the way we can address that is by removing the barriers. We need better education programs, including sex education. We need to make sure that every woman everywhere can access contraception when she wants it according to her own rights. And we need to stop trying to tell people what to do in their private lives and give them more options and opportunities. If we do those things, population challenges will just evaporate. And if they do, we're going to find we still have some other challenges to work on. That almost sounds like, uh, you know, sort of a population equivalent to the free market. Do you think if people were, um, if, if there was less of an attempt by, by government to uh, control people's behaviors or, or uh, set certain kinds of guidelines for people's behaviors, that people would do it themselves? If only it were that simple. I wish it was. <laughs> but uh, if it was, uh, I'd, uh, you could sign me up today. The challenge is that, that it isn't just, you know, government, government was created by people, uh, by we the people in terms of our own government, uh, by people, to try to figure out how to solve all sorts of problems. I mean, there are people who, because of ill health or because of other circumstances, uh, whether their, their physical health isn't good enough or their mental health isn't good enough, uh, that they, they need assistance. Uh, bridges don't build themselves. We need to think about the common good here. And we need to realize that individually, we can't get the things done that we need to do and we also have to realize that there are some bad actors out there, and there are also people who seem to think they need several hundred billion dollars, and I don't honestly know why. I wouldn't know what to do with, with a, a hundredth of that kind of money. Uh, and, and the idea that some people somehow feel the need to, to have that when there are other people in our community who are just struggling to get by just makes no sense to me. Government can play a key role here, so I'm no, I'm no libertarian. John, tell me a little bit about Population Connection, what it, what it is and um, what its, its mission is. Population Connection was founded a little over 50 years ago under the name Zero Population Growth. Uh, we changed our name about 20 years ago because the old name seemed to scare the children a little bit. And... <laughs> What, what, what we do is uh, we educate young people so that they can think about population challenges. We try not to tell them what to think. We just try to get them to think about it uh, all across the country. And we also advocate for the kind of programs that can help families, specifically family planning programs, so that people have a full array of choices so that they can take care of the people who matter most to them which is their own families. And every family comes in a different size and a different shape. 
and we need to respect that and support that, and that's what we do. John, how is that different from what Planned Parenthood set out to do? Well, our, our good friends at Planned Parenthood do a very important job. They run clinics to provide health care no matter what, and that's incredibly important. We don't, we're not health care professionals. Uh, we respect that role and, and leave our friends at Planned Parenthood in charge of that uh, particular part of it. What we do is education in the classroom, in public schools primarily, to get young people to think about population, and we also advocate in Washington for the kind of programs that can really help uh, so that, for example, contraceptives are freely available to everyone so that women have the health options that they need, both here at home and around the world. That's really what we focus on. And, John, how are you able to get into public schools when arts are having such a tough time getting into public schools? Well, I don't, you know, I, I, I think, well, I, I keep thinking about how, uh, you know, maybe next to farming, teaching might be the hardest. Maybe it's even harder these days. It's so stressful. But what we do is we make it, we fit our programs within the curriculum structure. And we try to make sure that we're not, we're not trying to indoctrinate kids at all. We're trying to get them to think for themselves about population. So, for example, when they're, when they're doing uh, their, their lessons in science and math and social studies, we provide hands-on activities so that they can role play, so that they can think about what the impact is of, of higher population and how it might play out in their own lives and in their own communities. So we're able to get into schools without any difficulty. Do you have online resources available for people to, you know, explore and, and learn about? We, we sure do. Uh, we have a little more than we did when I was young. <laughs> uh, when I was young, there was no online. Today there is. There was the library and that was it. But uh, people can go to PopConnect, that's P-O-P-C-O-N-N-E-C-T, popconnect.org. And they'll find all kinds of information there, and hopefully it'll, it'll be thought-provoking and, uh, and useful. What is the, um, are, there, are there steps, is there a checklist that people should um, look at when considering um, what to do about climate change that, that includes population uh, considerations as well? Well, one part of that checklist is to keep track of what your, your elected officials are doing. Uh, we, we hire them to do jobs, and just like when you hire anybody, it's good to check to see how their work is going. So we have resources on our site so that people can see uh, how uh, their elected officials are voting, and they can make up their own mind as to whether they agree with our analysis or not. But uh, there is an important role to be played here by government. There are enormous needs, not just here in the United States, but around the world, and it's not our job as a country to solve everybody else's problems, but we can be helpful, and so we focus on those pieces of legislation and uh, try to let people know uh, 
how their legislators are voting. And it, it may seem like a truism, but it's so important for people to, to people have been said a thousand times, but it's so important to vote. It, it just sometimes seems like what difference is it going to make? But let's keep in mind that the margin these days in the Senate is literally one vote. One vote matters. As we get close to the end of uh, the time that we have, John, I, I just want to ask a little bit about the timeline. Um, does does every little bit push the timeline back, or what's what's the state of urgency with regard to population, to climate change? Um, is there a ticking clock, and and what can we do to buy more time? I think it's fair to say at this point in the COVID pandemic, on some level, everybody's exhausted. That's Everybody true. feels alone at this point, and so, uh, and it may seem a little, uh, little contrary of uh, me, but I, I think people need to take a deep breath. Uh, don't feel like they're carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders and, and just try to figure out what they can do to be useful or helpful and not feel completely overwhelmed. It, we have, we're in it for the long haul on this planet. There is no planet B out there that we know about. Uh, and so we've just got to look at the small things we can do every day uh, just, just to be helpful and, and try, to, try to move forward. Uh, things are going to get better or worse depending upon the collective effort of the nearly 8 billion of us on the planet. So we can each do something about it. I don't mean to sound like a Hallmark card, but that's how I feel. <laughs> well, it's okay if you want to sound like a Hallmark card, John. Tis the season. Um, but, John, I, I, I've got to wrap it up, but I want to make sure and, and remind people if they, if they want to find out more where they can go. Does Population Connection have a website? We do. It's popconnect, P-O-P-C-O-N-N-E-C-T dot org. And you can read a great deal about population, but we do not have a section devoted to Freddie Boom Boom Cannon yet. Well, I think that's, that's time has come. I, I'll, 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 I'll ask our staff what they think about that. <laughs> Here. Well, John, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks so much for spending this time with me uh, this morning, and keep up the good work. Thank you, Tom. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. That was John Seeger, President and CEO of Population Connection, talking a little bit about the impact of population on climate change. And we're going to take a short break. If you're listening to us at WFOV 92.1 LPFM, our voices radio in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in uh, edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well, but then we'll return. There's still lots more of today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program yet to go. I hope you'll uh, stay with us and uh, join us um, coming up Thursday and Friday for some special shows for the Thanksgiving weekend. 
Anyway, we'll take a uh, short break, and we'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner program right after this. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just, um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. 
Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Oh, great lovers of the world, lend me thy ears. Where has love wrought? <laughs> love has wrought beauty. Love is the world. The world is love. And the great lovers of the world have made the earth a very precious, beautiful, and lovely place. Where is the love? Tell me. It's, it's there. It's there. Oh, where is the love? It's there. Where is the love? Do you know where the love is? It's there, Tom. It's all around you. Love is everywhere. Love is ever-changing, ever-growing, ever-moving. Love is passionate. It is flowing. It is sweet. It is wonderful. Love is compassion. Love is... Love is God. This is a song of two lovers. Right. Not world-famous lovers. Not a Romeo and Juliet. Not that type of a love. But two people whose love was an unrequited love. Unrequited love. Very beautiful love. A love that very few people ever hear of. It's a story of Herman and Sally. You've heard of them, huh? Herman was a lobster. And Sally was a crab. <laughs> never work out that way, will it? <laughs> Herman met Sally on the beach one night The sea was calm and the starfish were bright He looked at her and she looked at him And it was true love at first sight Now Herman told his folks about the girl he found And they said, Herman, there must be other girls around <laughs> Cause crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your mate Everybody sing now! Crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your mate Where is love? There. Try singing like that. <laughs> poor Herman and poor Sally Whence did their love whence wrong? Oh, the bittersweet pain of love's nectar. Yes, Herman, though he loved Sally, could not marry her, could not have her for his own. Herman was a lobster, Sally was a crab. 
Herman lived in a restricted neighborhood. <laughs> so he had to make a decision. And Herman made a decision which was sad and very hard for him to do. But then, being a lobster, Herman had no backbone. <laughs> Herman told Sally and it broke her heart she had loved that lobster right from the start. He took her in his claws and said, I'll always be yours, but still, we really have to part. Sally said, let's talk to your mom and your dad. I'll show them that crabs really aren't that bad. <laughs> they turned her away, what would the neighbors say? And they laughed at the funny walk she had. Two, three. Crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your mate. Sing out, friends, now. Crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your mate. Once again, gang! Oh, crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight and we won't let you take it for your pain. One more time now! Oh, crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight and we won't let you take it for your pain. One day on a sandbar, what did Herman see? But his little old Sally walking straight as can be. He said, Sally, I can take you in my family. And she said, Herman. Don't you street at me. Crabs <laughs> <laughs> walk sideways and lobsters walk straight and we won't let you take it for your man. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Show me 
Miss Chrome gonna put me in the mood When it comes to getting around Size it's where it's at You ladies know what I'm talking about The ride is long and fat That ain't no Cadillac Don't try to fool me Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 